0: Welcome to the show today. We are on the road once again. Actually, back in uh, California, my once great golden state, my once great home state, um, where there's still actually good people, believe it or not. And uh, we are here wrapping up our university tour, San Diego State University, and uh, another event in, in, uh, in San Diego County. And so we wanted to get some of our warrior friends um, who are doing more to preserve freedom, liberty, and the lives of the pre-born than most of the pulpits in America, um, except for, of course, the, the brave uh, pastors who are rising to the, to the battle and to the scene in, in the last couple of years. Uh, and yet there's still not enough people who recognize the nature of the times that we're living in, how the enemy's overplaying his hand, how the agenda's never been more clear. Um, and, and one of my favorite people and best friends that we've had on the podcast before, Is Michael Seifert the founder and CEO of Public Square? Um, Some of you have been listening to the podcast long enough that you remember a year and a half ago uh, when we had him on when Public Square was just kind of new and and taking off. Now it's a public company in all fifty states, taking back life, liberty, freedoms by getting people who have had enough to stop spending money with companies who hate them and would see them in a Bernie Sanders gulag Um, people who are ready to start shifting their wallet away from woke pro-abortion Marxists show porn to your kids and chop off your kid's penis and pump them full of trans drugs and towards companies that love America, that love freedom, that love Christianity and that love the lives of the pre-born. And so at this late hour of the American culture war, warriors are rising to the surface and the, Remnant left, either of Christianity or of just patriots, the remnant left is responding to those new brave leaders because they sense that maybe not is all yet lost. And we're going to dive into all of that with Michael Seifert today. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Michael, welcome to the show, brother. So good to be here, <laughs> yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's been a while. Um, you have a kid, I have another kid. <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems like not that long ago, we were sitting at a coffee shop uh, in San Clemente. I had just met you, because your, your, your wife was at uh, representing a pregnancy center at a church I was speaking at. Yep. And she came up to me She's like, so I think you need to meet my husband, I think you guys would be friends. And uh, that's not how your wife speaks, by the way. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I was like, okay, cool. And you're like, I've got this idea. And, and now uh, it's a public company in all 50 states. So, so for new listeners to the podcast, Michael, tell us about Public Square um, and, and kind of what led you to build out this idea.
1: Yeah, the initial idea was, that's so wild to think of how much has happened since we sat together Summer twenty twenty years ago. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. The idea was simple at the time. It was basically, there's a lot of companies that don't like us. And <laughs> it's, it's really well past time. It's a decade past time. That consumers like myself and like you and like our families and like our friends and our communities that love our country, love our freedoms, love liberty, which is the freedom to do what's right and (laughs) love the life, liberty and pursuit of happiness for all individuals in the public square, including the preborn. It's well past time for us to stand up and stop supporting those companies that don't like us. But, far be it from me to just encourage a boycott with those solutions, I actually would much rather show people where you can go. So instead of just saying, leave Nike and Lululemon and Pampers, diapers, and Mm -hmm. all of these other woke entities, Starbucks, behind, come over here instead. To these companies that love you and respect your values and will honor your liberties and that was the idea plain and simple a lot of companies don't like you here's a list that do what if we could put that list in a digital environment we call it public square because that's where commerce gathers that's sort of the center of those interactions transactions need trust implemented in all the transactions so what if we could establish that with values right off the bat and make it free for consumer and business we would make our money on advertising we wouldn't have to sell user data to do it we could do subscription advertising i mean the whole thing just started coming together And what was wild is January of 2021 was the initial sort of launch of the idea, putting into a product roadmap. Now, just over two years later, we're the nation's largest marketplace. (laughs) 50,000 vendors nearly on the platform. We've got uh, on Monday alone, we had a million unique sessions on the platform. I mean, it's just been amazing to witness uh, the growth that's taken place with very little marketing too. The last thing I'll say is that we the people have built this company. I, I didn't know what I was doing. We are we're, we just cared enough to do something. It's not like we had this long experienced background of building multiple e-commerce platforms. That's not what happened here. We brought the right people in for such a time as this uh, that had the right industry expertise, but all of us were aligned toward a common, set of values and uh we recognize that if we don't stand up now and if we don't recognize that commerce is what drives the power structures of society and so if we want to shift the power structures of society back to we the people it happens through commerce if we don't wake up and realize that now we lose our country and in it we lose the last true beacon or opportunity for righteousness to be purveying throughout a, a society in the western world so that's right that's public square. We're at public com. We're also on the App Store or Google Play. If you search public square or public sq, you'll see us. It's free to join and uh, the movement's growing every day. Glad to be partnered with you in it.
0: So, Michael, boycott um, campaigns have been tried before. Yep. Um, you know, conservatives for decades have done these things. I took part in some of them when I was a college student. We would try to boycott um you know, uh, grocery stores or businesses or hotels and such that uh, were funding Planned Parenthood and and the abortion industrial complex. And yet there was never, I guess, enough interest. There were never enough Americans, freedom loving Americans, Christians, pro-lifers who were willing to part with the comfort of that marketplace. But now it seems that they are because of you've proved it. You've proved it. Mm-hmm. I don't think Public Square launching in 2010 would have been successful. Agreed. Um, so talk about that. Um, I think uh, people listening kind of know why the last three years have been a little bit different. But but can you talk a little bit to like, what happened, w- w- you know, what did you see shifting and changing um, that led you to kind of step off onto the branch that you did and, and kind of testing the waters and knowing, oh wow, there's something here, there's something different about, 2020 in this moment we have now to actually build something maybe maybe, is it where people pissed off enough they were to stop spending their money with these companies
1: yeah you know Mm -hmm. we as largely conservative people because most, I would imagine, of the listeners to this podcast, most of our audience are conservative. They have traditional values. Most of us are, are largely reactionary. We're not the proactive ones to go out and pick battles. We sort of live and let live. We just want to be left alone. And so what will happen is the cultural Marxists will just desecrate our society, and we'll sort of abdicate our responsibility. Well, that's a conspiracy a
0: theory. Pr- there's no there's no cultural Marxists. Oh, there's oh, no oh my
1: bad. My bad. We'll <laughs> retract it. So the, the cultural Marxists, and they are that, it, it's 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 that blatant these days they've just been pushing it so our challenge as conservatives is that we do not step up and be proactive and foresee enough of the future to recognize like wait uh this slippery slope is really 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 slippery (laughs) and we should all stop it we don't do that enough but the left's downfall the progressives the Marxist, the marxist downfall is that they always push it too far yeah and then they lose the cultural narrative so what's happened over the last decade is that we did not respond quick enough to the cultural denigration and desecration that was happening. And at the same time, they pushed it so far on the other side that it's like, Okay, you're trying to trans the kids now? Like enough. This is this is ridiculous. You're putting you're putting a man on a Tampax commercial like, hold on. <laughs> Bud Light? What do you do? Like, do you, you're calling your fratty audience, which is your audience, by the way. You're calling them out of touch, and they've lost sight, and you're highlighting a dude instead, pretending to be a girl, dressing in makeup, frolicking around. Like, enough. This is, this is all too much. So... These two things have happened in tandem. It is a frolic. That's the word for it. He's been frolicking. And so when people see that, they're like, man, I just, I can't do this anymore. When people are openly, abortion, great example. It used to be, and I still thought it was evil even back then when they used this, because you could see this isn't what they meant, but they said safe, legal, and rare. Well, that's sort of a culturally friendly message of like, well, we don't like it, but it's sometimes acceptable. that changed to like shout your abortion and pink hat and all this nonsense. So they just, they lost the cultural narrative. Now what's happening is you're seeing a wake up call the last three years, you know, COVID pushed everybody over the edge. There's a COVID wake up. There's a cultural wake up. People were like, okay. I see what they're trying to do to the country now. And even if I'm not a hyper-politicized person or I'm not even really a conservative, we have consumers on our app all the time that say, guys, I'm a Democrat. Or at least I thought I was. (laughs) And like, I've never been super into politics I have just kind of thought that like everybody should get equality and stuff But like they're not even pursuing that anymore on the other side on the left Like they're running off a cultural cliff and I want no part of it So then I come over to your marketplace and it's all happy and positive and friendly and patriotic (laughs) And people are nice to me and I get discounts and and they're supporting like just quality products and they're not trying to lecture me about gender and, and Saving the turtles. It's like it's really nice to just have this avenue. So to your point And to really answer your question, 10 years ago, this wouldn't have worked because the left hadn't gone so insane enough yet publicly to highlight how strongly the need is. And on the right or on the conservative side of the aisle, we hadn't yet recognized how dire the situation was. Mm -hmm. So I remember even pitching this in 2021 to people in the early days. And a lot of the feedback I got was like, man, this is so cool. And I really love this idea. Are you sure that society's ready for it? Even two years ago, I got that question. Wow. Now... No one asks me that. Wow. No one asks me anymore. Are you sure people are ready for this? Are you sure businesses are going to be willing to stand up? Are you sure it's going to have the mark? Now I tell people and they're like, duh. Wow. Wish we would have thought of this earlier. (coughs) And so, you know, again, that just goes to the timing in the country is perfect for this. And the goal too is that 10 years down the road, this is the new America's marketplace. That's right. It's not not any longer an up and coming or a a counterculture or an alternative. It, It becomes the norm. And that's really where we're going with this thing.
0: So to paraphrase everything Michael just said, you're exercising dominion. Absolutely. You're taking Trying ground, call of that. Yep. Yep. You're, you're pushing back, yep. you're taking territory. Yep. And, and this is what the left has been doing for so long, right? They, they had a more robust, um, call it liturgy. Uh, I don't know, call it a, a theology of um, uh, the, their public religion they were far more zealous and dogmatic for what they believed in than most Christians. Because Christians, and uh, unfortunately a lot of, you know, fake, squishy conservatives, you know, call them, I don't know, the David Frenches or something like that. You know, they, they, they pay lip service to everything that we believe in and everything. But then when it's like the hour's late and like you're really needed to kind of step up and like exercise dominion and push back, yeah, they just fold like a cheap suit, they're gone. It's like, oh, well, what the hell, where, where the hell did everyone go? You know, they just like fall off the cliff. Um, because what? Uh, I guess it's too uncomfortable. It's too difficult. um, Or maybe you never believed in these creeds that you were espousing the entire time. Meanwhile, the left believes in what they say so strongly that they're like, you know what? You're going to fund abortion America through your tax dollars at the tune of $600 million a year. You know what? We're going to sneak into your healthcare plans. Oh, oh, you're a church and you don't want uh, your employees being on a healthcare plan that provides subsidies for abortions. Um, We're going to sue you. Uh, I mean, it's like, whoa, talk about exercising dominion, every area, right? Anywhere they can shine their light, I guess, a city on a hill. I don't know that to use the the Christian analogy that it, that light, you know, that darkness, it permeates every area and they never apologize for it. They, they, they never slow down or back off. And then we go like, "Uh, well, will you let us meet in our church? At 50% capacity? So I think like the timing is so providential and such a Kairos moment to, to build something like this. And so we had you at um, a Love Life California conference I did in, in, in January of 2022. Yep, uh, So a year and four months ago yep. or something like that. And I just remember, like, watching it later because I, I, I wasn't there in person when you were doing that. And, like, j- eruption of applause. Like, people were so bonkers for this. So excited. And That was over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, Legos, like, trans the kids. Yeah. You know, and so can you talk for our listeners, Michael, about some of the companies? Just maybe do some highlights because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't do the research you do. You know, yeah. and hey, we're all busy. We're living crazy lives. We're trying to feed our kids. We're trying, you know, but but people do need to become informed on these things. They yeah. do need to become educated about the state of the country because it is our country, mm-hmm. and we are responsible for the direction of this country. So talk about, you know, there's Lego. Now there's Bud Light. Um, th- there are some companies that whose funding and support of the entities they choose to support are like really ironic and strange. Can you talk about some of those for people? Would be happy
1: to. And I'll also say that the colors of a company come out real quick when there's some sort of cultural moment that they're trying to capitalize on. So for example, COVID was a big line in the sand and you saw some companies say, we want to be essential and therefore whatever you say state government of california and so if we're supposed to now deem anybody that doesn't want a vaccine as a grandma killer and keep them from our establishments we'll gladly do so so you saw major corporate entities across the country start to ban people the airlines were really big into this united especially uh in banning their pilots if they're not vaccinated and uh that's incredibly detrimental also there are companies like united by the way i just can't stand them don't fly united um yeah that now have diversity quotas for their pilots and it's like So next time you're on a United flight, just think to yourself, man, I'm so glad that my pilots have been mostly focused on diversity. Like that's that's not what the goal should be. The goal should be how can you fly a plane as effective and as safe as possible.
0: No, no. Oh, he's black. Great. Yeah. As long as you
1: have the right diversity quotas, you're all good to go. And it's like, guys, when did we start giving a rip about what the color of our pilots are? I just care that they can fly the plane well. Yeah,
0: yeah. But United's well, on a mission by twenty thirty. Well, because they hate meritocracy. They
1: do. They hate meritocracy because right? it speaks to objective beauty. Talk and truth about that and actually. Before you before you highlight
0: other companies, I just realized that's like a that that's like a forty thousand foot conversation. That that's that, that that you you actually just hit the nail on the head. The reason why they push these things is because they hate meritocracy. So, and in a random aside that just occurred to me, Michael, talk t- talk about why cultural Marxists and the the leftist marketplace. Um, call let's call it woke corporatism why do they hate meritocracy dive into that cuts
1: at the heart of intersectionality you cannot have intersectionality in a culture of meritocracy you cannot have also natural inclinations for societal desires and the individual in a culture of meritocracy for or excuse me You cannot have uh, natural desires for what is innate in our individual beings in a culture that does not have meritocracy. Uh, What I mean is, yes, in collectivist society. (laughs) What I mean is, Jordan Peterson's big into this. There was a thought for a long time that if you get rid of meritocracy and if you make everything collectivist and if you just have a real uh, push toward affirmative action and these different sort of diversity quota programs that you're gonna see STEM fields, for example, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics, you're gonna see STEM fields even out from men to women. So as the society becomes more egalitarian, less meritocracy focused, less, uh, so more collective social engineering, If you do that more, you're going to have a balancing of the scales in STEM fields because STEM fields have historically been dominated by men. What they found, though, is that in the Scandinavian countries, they tried this out. They did a total push of affirmative action to egalitarianize the society, if that's a word. And what they saw happen is that less women joined STEM fields (laughs) and more women joined nursing, caretaking, being teachers. We can't have that, Michael. Exactly. So the whole women thing women having like,
0: natural inclinations towards things? Unacceptable. <laughs>
1: and men are naturally a little bit more gifted to think in areas of engineering. Like that's no you can't have that. And so meritocracy speaks to, hey, we are hiring an engineering position. Whoever's best for it gets it. And then natural inclinations come out. Men are driven to get the engineering position. More women are driven away from that. That's just how we're naturally biologically wired. You cannot argue with it. In the societies, that become more egalitarian. That's what we found. But they hate that. They hate it because it speaks to objective truth. It speaks to objective beauty. It speaks to biological differences. Uh, We also see things like um, uh, meritocracy cutting right at the heart of intersectionality as it relates to cultural desires between different ethnic backgrounds. And we see all of this play out when you allow for meritocracy. If you say there's a new job opening and the best person gets it, you see Mm. different drives from different types of people to get to those positions. And those things are beautiful. That's right. They're absolutely beautiful. But the minute that you start to put quotas around things and socially engineer, you tear away at that. And so people have never stopped to consider in the socially progressive movement, like, what if actually... Uh, there's just a desire for more of this type of people to do this sort of role. And what if, uh, by the way, uh, these sorts of people that are wired this sort of way and have these sorts of natural drives are just better at that role. And by the way, what if it, in some of roles, Hmm. it has nothing to do with what you look like or where you come from or your background or anything. It just happens to be like, this random act of circumstances or this person's just the most driven and it's led to this outcome they cannot stand that they want to socially engineer everything they want collectivist societies and therefore that requires them to completely get away of meritocracy any sort of hierarchy they have to get away with and they have to focus on objective truth and any, you're out type, the of window. any, any type, type of hierarchy any type of hierarchy you're out. So even if they're natural even, even if, if they, they natural. rise naturally can't have it can't have that no that's right and so they have to completely rid society of anything that is is structured that way and and collectively socially engineer it and the problem with that obviously is probably self-evident but to put words to it the problem is you may not think it's dangerous now what happens when standards are lowered to meet those quotas for example uh, oh boy go in San Diego County California there's been a big push to lower educational standards so that you can accommodate quote-unquote more minorities two big problems. Number one, social engineering is really destructive for all the reasons I just described. You're lowering standards for something. That's going to mean your medical professionals, your lawyers. Do you really want your surgeon to have lower standards when he's performing heart surgery on you so that you can accommodate more? No. Second is that's super racist. If what you just told me is that in order to accommodate more minorities, I have to drop the standards for something. What are you implying? Are you implying that they can't other minorities can't meet those standards because that's really racist. So it's that soft bigotry of low expectations. Or the, I, or, or the hard bigotry of yeah, no it's expectations. Actually, it's, it's pretty blatantly <laughs> racist, actually. And so I'm a big believer that what if we just stopped talking about it? What if we didn't care about skin color anymore? What if we just said, you know what? Who's ever best for the job? We're going to set high standards, and we're just going to trust that the best people for the well, job you've are going to
0: You've heard Clarence Thomas talk about how um, because of affirmative action policies, he always felt questioned by other political and cultural elites as to whether he had gotten to where he had gotten on his own. Yep. on his merit merit. Yep. Uh, and, and so now for you guys listening who are like, <clears throat> you know, Seth continues to go on these really weird tangents and he has these people on. And he's not really talking about pro-life anymore, and I thought he was a pro-life speaker. Um, what, what you guys need to understand is that is that you cannot simply um, carve out one lane in a culture of death, and then put on like these blinders and say, This is my lane. This is all I'm doing. There is obviously something to be said about a narrowly focused commitment to one goal. So, what the abolition of abortion or something like this. But, <clears throat> but if you're blind to how there is a strange coincidental type of partnerships between literally every um, breaking edge of the culture of death. They're like, when you, when you go down the rabbit hole, guys, and if you've heard my message on the White Rose Resistance and on the, the history of humanism, that's just a little, a little teaser. I actually really haven't even scratched the surface. If you guys have been listening to these talks, I haven't even scratched the surface on the level of coordination, partnerships, shared board members, funding, citing one another as scientific experts to advance their own respective agendas. <clears throat> Our current culture of death today got here because of a, a deep level of coordination um, amongst the cultural Marxists. Yep. And so one of those pillars of this alternative political vision, and I think we really should call it an alternative religious vision, Michael, that we're facing, is this hatred of meritocracy. Yes. right. And, and I was thinking about this the other day, Michael, and because I was like, you know, <clears throat> this, this push for lowering standards goes back a long time there there's a there's a an issue in the humanist magazine from 1966 Michael 1966 called humanizing public education and the humanist leadership of the of the American Humanist Association and their 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 newspaper the, the humanist Um, explicitly proposed destroying meritocracy. In a 1966 edition of The Humanist, they said, remove the competitive grading practices of our school systems. Work toward teaching cooperative sports with particular attention toward developing appreciation of group participation rather than winning enjoyment at the expense of others through aggressive and competitive sports. That was 66, Michael. And so the reason I asked you that question about meritocracy, and boy, did you just give people a primer. I don't know if you guys listen to the depth from which michael was just speaking about uh his understanding of kind of collectivism and meritocracy and the individual and and the cultural marxist hatred of the individual like what michael just said was actually very profound he could not have said that without a significant level of depth and understanding of the culture war so i just want to highlight that but but this hatred of meritocracy is nothing new uh in humanist and marxist circles because if the individual rises and falls on his own merit then there is no quote-unquote system to blame And if there is no system to blame, then there is no invisible systemic oppressor to be used as a proxy to accrue political power. So meritocracy is actually a natural outgrowth of good theology. It's an inescapable fact that men in particular delight in ranking things, guns, knives, football teams, steak, grills, because that's how God made the world with varying degrees of glory. And so we recognize that and we delight in that. But if the individual rises and falls on his own merit, the entire political project of Marxism fails.
1: There's a direct tie to abortion too. And it looks like this. In a society that's collectivist in nature and voids itself of meritocracy, we're denying natural drives like you just described. So in the workplace, it looks like women generally do not want the career path of men as often that looks like grinding 90 hours a week foregoing most social relations to climb the hierarchy to get to that they don't naturally VP long role. it. They don't long
0: this. That's right. They, but, what they but long for the collectivist for, society the collectivist they're building society. incentivizes or straight up demands that women get involved in the workplace. So when a company going, comes out riffing. and says,
1: "I will give you four thousand dollars to abort your child because I like your health care," what they're really saying is, Whoa. "We want to socially engineer a collectivist society that causes you as the woman to forego your natural desires for motherhood and to build a family, which you will want." By the way, you may not want it at twenty-five but when you wake up and you're 40 and it's too like that's that's a common story right now and it's something demographic collapse is something i'm deeply worried about we're not having enough babies separate point to the abortion (laughs) point though we're not uh to the abortion point though if you're told by your employer i'm going to incentivize you to have less members of your family number one that's the most evil thing you can tell a person (laughs) i want there to be less seth grubers in the world do you know how evil that is yeah It's evil, it's sick. That's what corporate entities are telling women in the name of women's healthcare. And what they're doing in the process is they're saying, again, meritocracy out the window, allowing for natural hierarchies to emerge out the window, allowing for natural individual drives out the window. We are going to socially engineer. And part of that socially engineering looks like we have to incentivize you to have less kids because we know that's a natural desire of yours. And we need more productivity out of you. And so we can see in the industrial revolution when women left the home and started going into the workforce, A lot of beauty in women. I'm not making a statement on that. I think women should work if they want to, and I think they shouldn't work if they don't want to. What I do think is that there should not be a demonization of women that choose not to. That's number one because right there you're trying to collectively say that women should be out in the random VP of marketing role at some stupid firm it's like that should not – because that'll
0: bring you so much more peace and, and satisfaction than I don't know like like mothering and creating humans right you'll, you you go make those widgets you'll be way happier
1: and it's uh, yeah that's literally what they're saying and and what's wild is that if you look under the surface and to land the plane on this you come back to the culture of death it's like all of it ties back to. They just don't like the furthering of life and the furthering of individual gifts to this world. Mm. World in the form of a unique, individual, God sent human being.
0: They love humankind, but they don't seem to like actual humans. No, no. dude, have you seen the, f- the, the 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 famous interaction between Simone de Beauvoir and Betty Friedan? No, oh, fill my me in. Gosh, dude, so, fill me in. So Simone de Beauvoir, this uh, I think. I think French. I think that's a, a French lesson. Sounds French. One of the more famous feminists of the 20th century. Okay. And a true sure we'd be great third wave feminist. Now, Betty Friedan got radicalized, unfortunately, more than she was when she first founded NOW, the National Organization yep. for Women, right? Betty Friedan. Yep. Yep. Um, who, who was fired for being pregnant. That's why Betty Friedan became a feminist. Because she's yep. like, what the, this, what the F, dude? You know, like, yep. you fire me for being pregnant? Yep. And we would say that that's wrong, obviously. Yes, but, but she started as more of a feminist that most people would agree with. But she just got like broken down by larry later who's been called one of the fathers of the sexual revolution who was palling around with um uh with all of the uh founders of Naral, the national abortion rights action league um and they worked on betty Friedan for years Mm. to put the total legalization of abortion into now's political platform Mm. so she actually got when you it's really fascinating to read this like they worked on her for years she was not the radical feminist <clears throat> that she later became and the degree to which that was all naturally arising or was just political pragmatism. I'm not sure, but there's this famous interaction on on, on a television show between Simone de Beauvoir a radical feminist and, um, and Betty Friedan, who said we should let women make their own choices. So this was actually the comment mm. that caused Simone de Beauvoir to say the quiet part out loud. Betty Friedan, Michael, said, well, she's like, we. we I mean, no, no, women should obviously be able to pick. Like if they want to go to the workforce, great. But like if they want to stay home and be a mom, that's great. Like, they, And Simone de Beauvoir says, no, women cannot be allowed to make that choice because if they're allowed to make that choice, she said this verbatim too many of them will choose it and she's one of the more celebrated uh, feminists of the 20th century who said the quiet part out loud they cannot be allowed oh, but doesn't, doesn't that sound a little sexist like no 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 i, I I'm a master planner yep. I'm, I'm I'm a master of the universe right the collectivist social engineering we cannot allow women to make the decision because too many of them will choose it
1: there's the deeper desires never about women's rights never about women's <laughs> choice. It's not about women's they don't even the pro-choice movement doesn't even really try to claim They are pro-choice anymore. They're pro-abortion. They are pro-death. That is what they are. And so when you have companies lining up to support this with their economic firepower, it gets really, really dangerous and dicey yeah. quickly. And To the point from the beginning of this episode, the only way you stop that is if the consumers go out and just say, we're done. We're done with it. Because whether it's Ulta Beauty that's just desecrating the (laughs) idea of men and women and is hugely pro-abortion, whether it's companies like uh, some of the ones we kind of like. Like Carhartt that focuses on forcing their employees to be vaccinated and tries to virtue signal about a lot of uh, climate change stuff. I mean, it's just really silly. If it's Nike, who's like off the deep end, who thinks that the best way to win cultural appeal is highlighting transgenderism, stopping the funding of police, and vehemently supporting abortion. Wow. Uh, Whether it's Starbucks, who literally would donate a portion of the proceeds from employees. So uh, employees could choose to donate to Planned Parenthood of Starbucks, and Planned Parenthood would match those donations. Wow. literally matching it like a 401k like when you are with a new employer they'll say I'll match your 401k up to 3% if you put it in a right. 401k plan right. that's literally wow. what they said with abortion wow these people have become evangelists for the culture of death and the problem with all of this is that every time we spend a dollar with one of these entities mm. it just builds their firepower to be able to do so that's right and so if we want to stop uh, the the cultural desecration of life if we want to stop the culture of death uh uh, that's continuing to advance in the halls of politics pop culture entertainment it starts with commerce you have to take away their economic engine you also made a very good point earlier seth in saying that most of these movements whether it's an individual that's a hyper progressive activist or they represent a wider movement like blm or whatever it might be they're all funded by the same four or five people yeah and they will not listen to you your boycott won't say enough what we'll say enough is if they recognize that there are some other entities that could actually steal their market share, all of a sudden they start to care (laughs) because they're built with the drive for monopoly. So the minute you pop up another entity, that's like, Hey, I actually can't be bought Procter and Gamble. I'm not just going to be one of your wholly owned (laughs) subsidiaries that does all the abortion stuff. Like, it's really sad. You have these great family owned brands Mm. that were Christian when they got started, that were great household cleaning products or soaps or deodorants or whatever. And they get bought by these holdings companies and they get completely robbed of their identity. They clean out the, executive team. The founder may still own a few shares in P&G, but Procter and Gamble now determines how they go. They're pro-abortion from top down, and they're just looping in all of these economic firepower engines to be able to prolong their agenda. That doesn't stop until these other companies stand up and are like, "We're not going to be one of those subsidiaries. We're going to stick to our original conventions, wow. or convictions." All of the rest of you, you can pound sand. We don't really care what you think. Wow. We're going this way. I thought it was really interesting, even mm. after the Bud Light, you know, boycott this past week, which has been actually very successful. (laughs) Yingling, who is America's oldest beer, started in the early 1800s, Yingling comes out and they do a perfectly timed ad campaign where they Instagram a picture and it's just got a guy holding up a Yingling beer with an American flag behind it and it said, we are family owned and operated, that's never changed, our values haven't changed and we're proud to be America's beer. Two days after the, the Bud Light thing. And I'm like, okay, so you're seeing this play out in real time. You're seeing a company that's saying, like, we're just going to adopt the crazy progressive whims of culture. And then you're seeing another one that's like, actually, no. And they're successful, Bud Light has not sold a beer in a week. Yeah. So I think the way that we fight this battle and the way that we win truly in the area of the culture of life versus death is by making sure that we are shifting our economic resource toward companies that are willing to respect and, uh, ultimately celebrate hmm. the culture of life. Wow. That is the best way that you punish the, the furthers of the culture of death. In come, my on.
0: come on, come yeah. on. That's such a good yeah. word. Uh, Michael, as we, as we wind down, um, so ideology is a hell of a drug yes right ideology will take you further than you wanted to go and make you pay more than you wanted to pay yeah um and uh you know alexander solzhenitsyn probably talked about that more than most like ideology that is what gives evil doing its long sought justification to quote solzhenitsyn um so some of these companies are so um well they're such ideologues that they will actually fund things yeah that like are actually harming their future, like ability to profit. It's like, dude, that's really weird, dude. Like, I don't know how else to explain that except ideology is a hell of a drug. Can you talk about some of those companies yes. for our listeners to be yes. like, wow, like just to understand the nature of the battle, how how deep these seeds or roots run, maybe. Yep. Um, and then also maybe some of the major companies that you could tell our listeners to avoid because listen, once you know, you have a responsibility to live differently.
1: Yeah. Amen. And we want to help you do that. Um. Yeah, th- that is so true. Ideology will make you completely forego your fiduciary responsibility to shareholders and make you completely forget what your own mission of your business was. Great example is like the baby industry. So in the diapers and wipes and baby care industry, every single one of the nine major diaper brands in the United States is vocally pro-abortion. No. All of them. Coterie, which is the nicest diaper money can buy, did a post on Instagram of lamenting the fact that Roe v. Wade got overturned.
0: Every major diaper company Everyone. in America. Everyone. It's, it's a There's baby. not an exception the baby, the, I- the baby industry. There, yeah, the
1: baby industry. <clears throat> There's not an exception to the rule. Hello, bello, happy baby, uh, coterie, pampers. And huggies, these are like, Honest. these are
0: diapers that parents are buying before the baby's born. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're spending money based off of the recognition of the babyness of their unborn baby. And so diaper companies make money um, while they're they're making money by from from families who have not yet birthed their child. So they're actually profiting off of the lives of the unborn while funding the murder of the unborn. Exactly right. It, <laughs> could it, you it, get it, any it, weirder? You could
1: not. It would be like me saying, "Seth, I want to start a a women's shoe company. There's one thing. I want to fund and support the termination of women." <laughs> right. It's right. going to be great. <laughs> that's exactly what they're saying. But how
0: stupid are we? Yeah. we letting we're like, these companies profit for that. long. Yeah. And yeah, we, yeah. Keep,
1: we keep funding And it's like, it, the only way that stops is when we recognize, Hey, that's insane. Like, even if you, you here's the thing, I doubt there are many pro abortion listeners to this podcast, but <laughs> I talk to pro abortion people all the time. Sure. I, I was in New York this week and was uh, talking and I, I met a banker and we had a great conversation. He was a nice guy and okay. but we're definitely not values aligned. And I, I talked to this guy and I tell him that, that, Hey, what, You got to at least admit, like, it makes no economic sense for every single major diaper brand to be supporting abortion and to be doing it under the guise of women's health care. Like, that doesn't make any. You got to admit. And he's like, I have no argument against that. (laughs) I have no art. You're right. It doesn't make sense. You know, I struggle with the morality of the issue, but economically that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, okay, well, good. We can at least agree on that. This again goes to my point. They always overplay their hand. They always allow for their ideology to just walk them off a cliff. Good. And so now what we can do is use that as the first step to be like, okay, so we all agree that's insane. Yeah. Yep. All right. Now let me tell you what else they're doing. And that's where the stuff keeps going, and people r- wake up and realize, like, oh, maybe these people are not the arbiters of truth and goodness that I <laughs> thought they were. And in the process, Seth, um, a lot of companies have been exposed as just total frauds. They're not, yeah. they're not, they're not honoring their responsibility to fiduciary provide return on. Because again, if I'm a diaper company, especially one that's like publicly traded and has a wide shareholder base, and I'm telling my shareholders I could have more babies in the world, which means I could have more customers, mm. but because I'm a coward. And because I've allowed for ideology to rot our institution, I'm actually going to support the termination of our client base. Wow, That's what their actions are saying. How is that honoring your shareholders? But it's because they left this behind. If you're familiar with the world of economics and investment, there was a long time where the economy was centered around what's called shareholder capitalism, which is I am under the responsibility as a company to provide the maximum value to my shareholders, meaning the people who have invested in my company and the consumers of the product that I'm making. That changed, though, about 20 years ago. It changed to stakeholder capitalism. Hmm. The two most commonly heard tenets of stakeholder capitalism are DEI and ESG. So if you're familiar with those phrases, DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion. ESG is environmental, social, and governance. These are socialist, Marxist philosophies that have led to diaper companies supporting abortion, uh, well, inter- it's just
0: – it's one of the liturgies of humanism.
1: Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> Energy companies supporting uh, – uh, using renewable sources that are actually completely not cost-effective. They actually pollute the earth in a greater way. Uh, they end up – when you're done with the solar panel, you've got to go recycle it in an Ethiopian village in the ground that's poisoning their water supply. They're killing eagle <laughs> populations with windmills in Arizona. Like, all this is
0: – What the- are you saying that they never really cared about Mother Gaia? They just <laughs> – Used yeah. her as a way to accrue political power. That is
1: exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, in the process, the economy moved from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism, which okay. is like, well, we have to consider the other stakeholders, meaning progressive activists, meaning the people that are holding us hostage with a radical climate change agenda, meaning the pro-abortion activists, meaning the lobbyists. That's what stakeholder capitalism means. It's the opposite of shareholder capitalism. So to bring it back to the abortion issue. There are a lot of companies today that whether or not they really believe in their corporate boardrooms in uh, abortion or not, they are supporting it because they feel like they have been now uh, beholden to a group of progressive activists that are saying, like, you continue to toe this line or else— like we scream and we bicker and we wow. get mad and we make sure that George Soros and our friends there are against your business all of a sudden. That's, that's the message they're trying to convey. And in the process, uh, you have a lot of companies you need to stay away from. Uh, definitely uh, what I would do is go back to July of this past summer, 2022, and I would look at the different uh, companies that immediately came out and placed a statement saying, we are going mm-hmm. to fund our employees' abortions. That's step one. And you're going to see <laughs> uh, right, scores yeah. of these businesses, because they did that in response to <laughs> Roe v. Wade being overturned. The second thing I would do, follow us on Instagram, head to Official Public SQ on Instagram, because what we do three times a week is a buy-ditch campaign. So we tell you a company you should stay away so from, good. and then we show you a company you should go to. So for example, yesterday we did a buy-ditch campaign and we highlighted Tom's, which is like the mouthwash and deodorants and all this. Well, Tom's is radical. They're they're buy-pockets. Statements and all these different things and their stance on abortion and we highlighted instead the van man company which is like a great natural solution uh, to go back to these companies being frauds toms uh actually was sued because they claimed they were natural through and through and they weren't um, honest diaper co so honest was supposed to be this clean living uh diaper and baby and household brand uh and they got f- f- sued because they discovered that not all their stuff was legit and a lot of it was fake these people are not actually believers in their own stuff even so wow. point is head to head to the Instagram head also to public square and go to the app and you'll see that on our feature page we do weekly by ditch campaigns where we highlight a lot of businesses that you definitely should not go to and then we highlight their alternatives we just did a recent one with Lululemon and highlighting Yakum <laughs> apparel as an alternative which is a great pro-life athletic brand we did another one with uh, ditching Carhartt and going with LC King which is a 118 year old denim manufacturer from Atlanta Georgia that makes all their clothes in the United States and have taken a stance against the um, the uh, uh, anti-medical freedom movement. Wow. You've got uh, companies like. Uh, we just did a really good one recently with Patagonia. Patagonia is a nonsense company now. They've jumped off the cultural cliff yep. and in pretty much every conceivable way. And then you've got alternatives uh, like Chuna, which is this amazing outdoor brand that just joined the platform. So amazing. there's no shortage of opportunities. If you don't want Nike, go to Train Fitness. We want to help people discover that it doesn't just look like stopping supporting the ones that support the culture of death. So it good. looks like finding those alternatives because, That's again, right. far be it from me to ask you to leave unsubsidated from this corrupt system if there's not a better one to subscribe to.
0: That's right. Wow. So good. What an easy way, huh? We're trying. For people who We're have trying, had enough man. who who walk up to you and me and people like us at events, right? And they go, Michael, what can I do? Well, guys, Michael built a company to answer that question. <laughs> what can I do? And they're growing like wildfire. So publicsq.com, yep. get the app, Public Square. I have it. We use it. All 50 states now. Absolutely incredible. Brother, keep up the good work. Thanks, Seth. It's an
1: honor to be here. Thanks yeah, for having me. Good,
0: uh, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. We appreciate that. Um, we'll put the uh, Public Square website in the notes, but make sure you go download the app uh, right now as you're listening to my docent tones um, through your car and uh, start shifting your spending in dollars away from companies who hate you. Freedom, the family. Um, meritocracy in the lives of the unborn and start participating in dominion, in culture building against this culture of death before it's too late. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.